am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be who it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your power. We thank you for the spirit of God who's already here to saturate our hearts to prepare us for what you have in store. And Father, even though it's warm in here, we can still hear the word without persecution. And so, Lord, I thank you for signs, miracles, and wonders following your word. I thank you because you said heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never, ever pass away. And so I thank you now for the incorruptible, indestructible word of the living God penetrating our hearts and our lives. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Let everybody say amen. Amen, amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Although marriage can be one of the most challenging relationships you will ever have, it can also be one of the most rewarding and successful relationships you will ever have. So our last topic for our married couples this month is how to have success in your marriage. How to have success in your marriage. And I know that is a different topic. But there is no one that I know of in their right minds who do not desire success. Can I get an amen? Amen. So if you have your Bibles, we're coming out of Genesis chapter 11. And we're going to look in verse 1. And then we're going to go over to to Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. That was Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. And then Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. Now, what I'm going to do is define success from a biblical standpoint. And then I'm going to give my definition of success as well. Success is to have insight. Everybody say to have insight. It's to have insight and understanding. It means to handle a matter wisely. It means to succeed by being of one mind, one mouth, one goal, and one heart. Everybody say one mind, one mouth, one goal, and one heart. Now, here's the thing. The biggest advantage that married people have over single people is that married people always have someone to touch and agree with at all times. See, that's the advantage of being married. You always have someone that can touch and agree. And here's the thing about touching and agreeing. It changes levels and power. Jesus put it like this. He said, if two of you touch and agree on earth as having anything, you will have it. In other words, if I can find someone to be in agreement with me, then it moves from just a desire to manifestation. 
And married people have this advantage, but most of them don't take advantage of it. The unfortunate thing is that the enemy keeps most people or most couples at odds so that this agreement power and this agreement principle never takes place. Now, let's go to Genesis chapter 11 because I'm going to show you these. I have three principles on how to have success in your relationship. And I'm not just saying how to have a successful relationship. I'm talking about how to have success in the relationship. It says in Genesis 11, and the whole earth was of one language, say one language, one language and of one speech. Now, I'm going to stop there because as a married couple, you may have one language but not have the same or one speech. See, when, when my wife and I, when we were believing for our last child, which is Landon, he's eight years old now, we spoke the same language. In other words, we wanted the same thing. We both wanted another child. But we weren't speaking the same thing because she wanted twins and I just wanted one. So we both wanted the same thing, but we weren't saying the same thing. It says here that the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Verse 2. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there. Verse 3. And they said to one another. Go to, let's make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime, had they for mortar. And verse 4 says this, this is powerful. And they said, go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built. And the Lord said, Behold, the people are one. Say one. And they all have one language. Say one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing, watch this, nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go, let us go down and confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So I have three principles this morning that will help you have success in your marriage. Here's the first principle, and that is you must have goals for your relationship and your family. You must have goals. Say goals. You must have goals for your relationship and your family. In other words, what you desire is only a dream until you write it down. Now, I'm telling you this, and I'm going to show you out of the Bible that God believes in having goals. Now, I know the world uses that terminology, but most of the success principles in the world came right out of God's word. So for you and I to have success in our relationship, we must have some goals in our relationship. Now, watch Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. It says, and the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. Write the goal, write the desire, write it down, make it plain upon tables that he may run that read it for the vision, the desire, the goal is yet for an appointed time. He says, but the end will speak. It won't lie. Though it tarry, he says, wait for it because it, your dream, your desire, your goal, your vision will come. It will not tarry. Now, when you look the word vision up, it means dream or mental vision. Now, let me tell you what a vision is. A vision is a, is a measurable 
result. It's something that is measurable that must have objectives or steps in order for you to achieve it. In other words, having just a dream or a vision is not good enough. First of all, most people, they never write down what they desire to achieve as a couple. And if they do write it down, they don't go the next step and write some objectives. And I'll explain what that is. A dream or vision is a measurable thing that has objectives or steps to be achieved. Now, goals, watch this, helps define your direction and fuel your desires. Goals help define your direction and fuels your desire. In other words, when you write down goals, they help now to define which direction you want to go. So now you're not just a shotgun. A shotgun is when you shoot it, the the pellets go everywhere. No, no, no. When you have goals, they're just like a, a bullet. Once you point it toward the target, you'll hit the target if you keep your eyes on it. Well, a goal, when you write it down, helps to define your direction. And then watch this now. When you get weary and well-doing, all you have to do is look at your goal, and it'll refuel you to keep going. And that's why the Bible says, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap, watch this, if you faint not. Goals help define your direction and fuel your desires. Watch this. When two people can unify for a cause, the likelihood of achievement becomes possible. So what I want to do now, because see, most couples tend to fight because they don't have directions, they don't have dreams, and they don't have goals written down. Most of the time you're fighting. You know why you're fighting? You're fighting because you don't have a goal in mind. You're fighting because you don't have direction. So let's talk about what the goal was in Genesis chapter 11. In verse 4, it says this. And they said, go, let us build a city and a tower whose top will reach unto heaven. And let us make a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. The goal was for them to build a tower to reach heaven. That was the goal. Everybody say, that was the goal. Now, let's just use an example. Let's say you as a couple want to save some money. How many would like to save some money? Let me see your hand. Okay, now here's the problem. Most couples want to save money, but they don't sit down to even make it a goal. They don't write it down. And then watch this now. A goal must be measurable. Everybody say, measurable. So you just can't write down, I want to save some money. We want to save some money. You have to say, or your goal should sound something like this. We would like to save $10,000 by December 31st. See, now it's measurable. Now, here's the problem. Most, most believers, we don't want measurable things. I had a person I was uh, giving some counsel to. Uh, this is maybe about three years ago, and I sat down with them, and one of the problems is they wanted to make more money on their job. So I asked them, so how much more money would you like to make? They said, anything. I just need some increase, Pastor. I said, yeah, but, but tell me, be, you know, tell me exactly how much you want. I'll just take anything. I just put, went in my pocket, and I pulled out a nickel. 
I say, there's your increase right there. Well, I want more than that. But you said anything. See, a goal makes you define what you want. And here's why that's important. Now, at least you both see and desire the same thing. Because if you say, well, we just want to be out of debt, he may be thinking $10,000 and she might be thinking $20,000. So a goal is measurable. Everybody say a goal is measurable. A goal is measurable. A goal is specific. Here's another example of a goal. We will clear 5,000 worth of debt by January 31st, 2018. That's specific. That's something that you write down. So in order for you and I to have success in our relationship, here's the first principle. You must have goals for your relationship and your family. Here's number two. The second principle is you must decide on the objectives in order to achieve your goals. In other words, writing down the goal by itself is not enough. You now have to take objectives or another word for objectives or steps in order for you to take to achieve that goal. In other words, goals without objectives is like a car without an engine. You may have the potential to get somewhere, but the engine is the vehicle by which you're going to get there. And once your objectives are defined, this is where the necessary actions are defined or identified for you to achieve or desire. In other words, you put your goals down. We want to save $10,000 by January 31st, 2018. Now the objectives are going to come into play. What are the steps that we have to take? Now, here's the problem with most, most uh, relationships. When only one person are taking the steps, you will not achieve the goal. One person cannot be completely responsible for the objectives or it will never happen. In other words, if your desire is to get out of debt and only one person is adjusting their spending habits, you will not reach your goal. So now this is where you have to communicate like I talked about last week. You have to sit down and reason together. You have to sit down and talk this thing through. Well, baby, all right. right. Uh, I want to save some money next year. You want to save some money? Yeah, baby, I want to save some money. All right. Well, how much uh, do you want to save? Well, let's try to reach half of what we make a year. Okay, let's try to reach half of that. So, okay, well, baby, that's a steep goal. All right. Uh, All right. So let's see what we're saving now. All right. And let's subtract that from this goal that we're trying to reach. How much is that? Okay, that's this. Okay, well, baby, uh, looking at our budget, we're going to have to cut some things or adjust some things for us to save. And watch this. All of the money that you're saving should not have to come from cutting because that's not faith. Oh, y'all didn't hear me, did you? See, most people, frugal-minded people, they say, well, well, we'll cut this, we'll cut that, we'll cut this, we'll cut that. I mean, come on now. I mean, peas from, let me see, what's what's, what's a, what's a, uh, Del Monte. Del Monte peas versus a can that just says peas. Okay, you changing to those 
over a year's time is probably not going to save you no more than $10. Why take your family through the suffering for $10? What I'm trying to say is all of the money that you need to save is not going to necessarily come from you cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting because cutting doesn't take faith. It just takes discipline. But believing takes faith. That's when you say, well, what we're going to do, babe, is we're going to believe God for some additional money to come into our hands. And this is what we're going to do with that money. We're going to give some tithe. We're going to give some offering. We're going to give some Project 360. And then we're going to cut the rest of it in half. We'll keep that half and we'll spend the other half. Everybody say, that's a plan. So you have to have objectives, steps. I wanted a loan for our church to get this new facility. Well, I had to fill out tons of paperwork, tons of paperwork, tons of paperwork. And I got more no's than I got yeses. But the no's didn't bother me because the objective or the goal was a new facility. That was my desire. That was my driving force. That was the thing that I knew I had to keep focused on. Because if you focus on the situation, what will happen is it will change your desire. See, most people have gone from flourishing or prospering or being successful to surviving. Your faith is not even intact. I talk to people sometimes. I say, Pastor, my car broke down. And uh, I need $1,000 to get it fixed and I don't have it. I say, have you talked to the Lord about it? No. Really? Really? You haven't talked to the Lord about it? No, I haven't talked to the Lord about it. My thing is, start at the top and then work your way down. See, most people start with, where I'm going to get the money from. And so they go to a friend or they go to the mama or they go to the payday loan people. Why not start with God? Our wisdom comes from him. Can I get an amen? amen? So you have to start writing down the steps. Here's the third principle. And that is you must learn to say the same thing. Now, I know this is simple, but a lot of people are not doing it. Most people don't have goals as a married couple. Listen, when you start writing them down, putting them, listen, write them down, make it plain, put it somewhere where you can see it all the time, put it on your vision board, however way you want to do it, because I'm about to show you that God believes in goals. See, the problem is we want all of our success to be spiritual. We just want to put it out on God. Well, God, I need you to bless me with a new car. And the Lord is saying, well, Evan, have you checked your credit lately? Go to Credit Karma right now, son, and check your credit. You don't want to get in the dealership and do like that man on the commercial. He says, I want this one. Have you checked your credit lately? No, check your credit. See, some people never want to see bad news, so they, they don't even check. And here it is, your credit is good, but because you don't know it's good, you walk into the dealership and you pay more interest than what you should because you didn't even walk in there with some knowledge. So God can't bless you with the car until you take some steps. Amen. In verse 1, it says, The whole earth was of one language and one speech. 
They didn't just speak the same language, but they were also saying the same thing. And, and see, like I said earlier, you can speak the same language, but not say the same thing. So let's go back to now goals of getting out of debt. If one person is declaring on a regular basis, Father, I thank you that we will be out of debt by $10,000 by January 31st, 2018. And the other person is saying, Lord, I don't know how we're going to get out of this mess. You got one people, one person saying it and the other person, they're saying what they see. What would happen if both people got on the same page and said the same thing? Most people never experience success at high levels because they don't understand the power of goals and objectives and the power of their words. See, this doesn't seem real spiritual. And this is why most couples don't do it. But this is how God operated. In Genesis 1, this is what it says. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you remember how many days that God took to create man and the earth and all the stuff in it? How many? Six days. Everybody say six days. And then what did he do on the seventh day? He rested. Now, let me ask you a question. Could Almighty God have done all of that in one day? Yes, he could have. Why didn't God just create everything in one day? Because he was giving us a pattern. You're not going to get out of debt in one day. You didn't get in debt in one day. You're not going to get out of debt in one day unless a miracle takes place. Now, we're never shortchanging miracles, but we have no control of miracles. But we do have control of our faith. So now, what I'm going to do is God took six days to work this thing out. On one day, he said, do this. On one day, he said, do this. Now, his goal, watch this. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. There's the goal. And then all of the, the objectives come through in all the other verses. Watch this. It says, and the earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. Watch this now. And God said, here's his mouth. Let there be light. And there was light. Verse 4, and God saw that there was light. That's what happens when you and your spouse get in agreement, get on the same page, become one. And you begin to say the same thing. You know what's going to happen? You're going to see the same thing. See, I'm talking to them right now. See, because Spirit, Spirit of God is just downloading me as I'm talking. There are some couples in the room, and one of the spouses are always wanting to let their parents and relatives borrow money. I'm talking to somebody. Touch your neighbor and say he's talking to somebody up in here. Go on and tell them. You are always wanting to... Help your family out. Give them this. Bless them with this. Give them a loan here. Give them a loan there. And, and your spouse is not with that. And it's not because they don't love your family. They just know that, that you ain't helping your family. Amen. Let me tell you something. If you are letting your family borrow money or you're giving money to them and your spouse is not in agreement you are wasting money. Thank you for that one hand clap right over here to my right, your left. No, no, no. No, if it's not in unity, it is not going to work. 
And see, see, I see a lady crying. But you don't like my man. You don't like my mama. If, I, if you, your mama needed, we will help. Well, it, it ain't about his mama right now. And here's the sad thing. What you don't see. Thank you, Jesus. What you don't see is that that's an act of poor stewardship. What you don't see is that you're crippling them for trusting God for themselves. What you don't see is that you're hurting them from them not using their faith. That's what you don't see. And then at the end of the day, when you need the money, they ain't going to be able to help you with it. Thank you for those scattered claps across the Metroplex. Amen. If you're not in agreement, don't do it. Now you say, well, see, Pastor, I've been trying to get my wife to not tie because I'm not in agreement with that. I've been trying to get her not to. You need to let her tie so you won't be cursed. Amen. See, God wants you in unity for righteousness. Giving to your relatives, uh, You don't know what they do with that money. Amen. There's a reason they're on food stamps. They don't want to work. I just see my sister's kids and they always have on the same clothes. It's her fault. Now just look at somebody else. Just look at somebody else. Don't even look at your spouse. Just look at somebody else and say, he talking to somebody up in here now. Okay, let me hurry up here. The reason you and I must learn to say the same thing as a couple is because you will eventually believe what you're saying. And because words were meant, watch this, to come to pass, every time you say what you have agreed to, creative power now has to become activated. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life, watch this, are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit. Notice now that it didn't say death or life was in the power of the tongue. It said death and life. So it, listen, you either saying good or you saying bad. You saying life or you saying death. It ain't either or, it's one or the other. Let me tell you something. The day that Adam and Eve ate the fruit was the day that they had the ability to speak death. They didn't have ability to speak death before then. It wasn't until they partook of death that they were able to speak of death. Here's here's the next one. Watch this. Proverbs 21, 23 says this. Whoso keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps his soul from trouble. So get some goals. Get some objectives. Line your mouth up with what you wrote down. And don't, you say, well, Pastor, when do I stop saying it? You stop saying it when you see it. Amen. Amen. You've been at this church long enough? I've been saying Project 360, Project 360, Project 360. Pro- Some of y'all got tired of it, Project 360. Well, now we see in Project 360. 
Amen. So I'm going to stop here. I got some questions here. And, and if some more come up, just let me know here. Uh, here's some questions for, from some of our married people. Is it a such thing as loving your spouse too much? You can't love your spouse too much unless your love for your spouse exceeds your love for God. God will not, he will not compete with nobody else's affection. So if you obey your spouse over obeying God, yes, you are now loving your spouse too much. Because how many know God is first? Amen. God is first. Here's the next question. Sex acts should be mutual, not forced or badgered about. Is that right? Is that right? Is that right, preacher? Is that right? The Bible says that the bed is undefiled. Here's the thing. If your spouse don't want to do it, not, not, not do it, but if they don't want to do whatever else you got going. Okay? Because you need to do it. Okay? That's, that's a Bible. You need to do it. You're supposed to do it. It is the word of God you're supposed to do. It, it is the will of God. So doing it is not an issue. What you want to do needs to be agreed upon. Okay, you say, well, Pastor, I want a threesome. That is not the Bible. That is not the Honey, can we? No, we cannot bring nobody else up in here. Thank you for that one clap in the middle. No, no, if it's immoral, you shouldn't be doing it. See, if it hurts the other person's conscience, then they're not doing it in faith. You even need to do it in faith. Come on now. The Bible says whatever is not of faith is sin. If you can't do it in faith, you shouldn't be doing it. If she don't want all these extra gadgets, you got to leave them out, brother. Hey, man. <laughs> How do I get my husband to tithe? That was easy. Give your husband to the Lord. Man, well, look, if your spouse stop, stop acting right, you start, start acting all crazy, and you talk to him about it, you talk to him once, first of all, you know, is your husband a believer? Let's start there, because if they are a believer and they're not tithing, then they just need to be taught on it. If they've been taught on it and they're not doing it, they are in rebellion. So once a person is in rebellion, there is nothing you can do. So what you do when a person is in rebellion, the Bible says God will revenge all disobedience when your obedience is complete. So you just make sure you stay in line with God, and then you just give that person over to the Lord. Lord, you know Johnny ain't giving like he needs to be. Lord, you handle it. And then you do your thing. Next thing you know, your husband's going to be like, babe, I think we should start tithing. Don't, now, don't do this. That's what I've been praying for. By time, by time, by time. He's going to go back and slide again. He's going to go back slide again. Just pray. Leave that brother in the hands of God and let God handle him. Here's the next one. 
What happens when you fall in love with someone else and the part, the part of you uh, that love your spouse, they don't, I guess they don't, you don't love them anymore. Okay, let me, let me, let me help this person. What happens when you fall in love with someone else and the part of you that love your spouse doesn't love your spouse anymore? Well, let me tell you something that you may not have known. You falling in love with somebody else had nothing to do with your spouse. That was a choice you made. And once, let me tell you something, once your heart, once you let your heart, because it ain't about, well, if they was doing this, they was, no, 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 no. Jesus said, let your heart not be troubled. You don't want to control your heart. See, once you let somebody else into your heart, in your space, in your soul realm, your love for your spouse is going to go down because your heart was never meant to be divided. So it is not your spouse's fault. My love went down. Now your love went down because your love for somebody else went up. So you know how you can get some more love for your spouse? Kick the one that ain't, ain't your spouse out. <laughs> Pastor, I, I just love them. Well, you're going to have to unlove them. That's what you're going to have to do. Just like they do on Facebook. They unfriend you. You're going to have to unlove them. And I hope you haven't gotten involved with the person. Because, see, here's the problem. When people start cheating, which, by the way, 60% of people in this room done cheated based on statistics. But, boy, the True Family Church, we better than that. So ours ain't 60%. But anyway, if it was 60%, the problem is you can't stay in the same place where your cheater is. Oh, no, no, no. Now, if your wife or your husband know you cheated and the person's on your job, you need to change jobs. Well, Pastor, I've been there for 25 years. So, do you want to stay married 25 years? Then you need to get the stepping like Martin said. Get the stepping. Because every time you pass that person, all the letters and emails and mushy, stupid stuff that they done told you, it's just going to surface in you. And the butterflies going to come up. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Change jobs. Let me make it a little bit more clean. Change jobs. Change jobs. He said, well, I don't know if I can make the same money. Pray them out or change the job. Amen. Here's the last one. How can you encourage your husband to be the leader in the home when it comes to coming to church, for example, if the wife is sick and stays at home, the whole house stays. Chances are, sister, he wasn't going to church when you met him. He probably started coming to church because of you. Okay? So... Uh, how do you encourage him to go to church? Well, you start where everything else ought to start with prayer. Because, see, it ain't even about church. It's about his connection with God. 
So church can help spark your relationship with God. But his relationship with God is where there's a problem. He doesn't see that that's something God needs him to do. And so because he doesn't, you got, before you badger him and you, before you talking, you know, you know see, I'm always taking people to church and our kids and we always going and here you are. No, 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 no. Before you do all that, just say, Lord, hey, I submit and commit my husband to you. I need you to work on him. And watch this. I've learned over the years that while you want God to work on them, he's trying to work on you. So what is he trying to work on you with? Hmm. See, I believe God answers prayer, answers my prayer when I help answer somebody else's. I mean, your husband's been praying for you to cook for 10 years now. Say, Pastor, what that got to do with him coming to church? Same thing. You sow what you reap. If you don't do what nobody say, they shouldn't. Why should God do what you say? What is God trying to work on you with? And I'm going to end this right here. What is God trying to work on you as a spouse with? What is he trying to work on you? Because, you know, I, I know you think marriage is about your spouse and how they acting and what they're doing and what they're not doing and what they're not giving you and what they should be doing. It's really about you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you as a spouse? What is he saying? Is he saying, I need you to be more kind? I need you to be more prayerful. I need you to intercede for your spouse more. I need you to take less attention off the kids and put a little bit more attention on them. Is he saying he wants you to be more committed in in the relationship? You've kind of just like drifted off. And he's wanting you to come back. Spirit of God, move in the hearts of every person who's heard the word today. Hallelujah. Thank you for moving in the hearts of those who are here and even those who are watching. And I pray in Jesus' name that every word that has been spoken throughout this month of September, that change has taken place in homes. Change has taken place in relationships. Change has taken place in families. Change has taken place in hearts. And I thank you now. For the families of Word of Truth Family Church and those who are listening throughout the world will never, ever be the same as they begin to apply this. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Quitting is not an option. The only reason there have been attacks for you to quit your relationship is because you've allowed quitting to be an option. If you will take that option off the table and you will commit to what you vow to, 
till death do us part. Then it now allows God to step in and do some things because he knows now your heart is completely in it. Thank you, Lord. If you die today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? I know most people in here are already saved. Most of the people in here are already believers. But there may be one person who needs to commit their life to Jesus Christ.